Welcome back to Conversations, Season 4 of our podcast, The Past, The Promise, The Presidency. I'm Brian Franklin, Associate Director of the Center for Presidential History at Southern Methodist University. And along with my co-hosts, Tamal Pilla and Tyler McCall, we've spent this season bringing you some of our favorite conversations about American history and the American presidency with some of our country's premier historians and scholars. Today, we bring our season of conversations to a close. So it seems only fitting that our topic be about historical endings. Today, we're talking about the deaths of American presidents and how Americans have mourned their loss. But don't fret, even though our jumping off points are endings, we're also very much talking about beginnings as well. After all, presidential legacies don't fully take off until a president has actually lived out his days. And when those early days of mourning shift into remembering and legacy shaping among the American people, there is no telling where the story will go. This has been true of every former president, from George Washington to George H.W. Bush. And to guide us through a couple centuries of how Americans have mourned, remembered, and memorialized their presidents— we have two outstanding scholars of the American presidency with us, Lindsay Travinsky and Matthew Costello. They've edited a new book called Mourning the Presidents, Loss and Legacy in American Culture, which brings together more than a dozen scholars who help us understand American history at critical moments when presidents have passed away. Here's our 10th and final episode of Season 4, our conversation with Drs. Travinsky and Costello on Mourning the Presidents. Hello, my name is Tamal Pilla with the Center for Presidential History at SMU. Joined today by Dr. Lindsay Travinsky, presidential historian and author of the award-winning book, The Cabinet. George Washington, and the creation of an American institution, as well as Dr. Matthew Costello, vice president of the David M. Rubenstein National Center for White House History. Drs. Travinsky and Costello will be joining us at SMU on May 11th to discuss their new book, Mourning the President's Loss and Legacy in American Culture. They'll be joined in their talk by Drs. Camille Davis and Sharon Conrad. Dr. Travinsky, Dr. Costello, thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having us. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us. Sure. Now we'll jump right into it. The book looks at at 12 different presidencies across time, beginning with George Washington. Um, How has the mourning of presidents changed over generations? That's a big question to start with. It's a great place to begin. There are some elements of presidential mourning that are constant and universal in that The American people have their own ideas about how they should mourn the president and often impose those ideas and impose meaning and significance on the death of a president and that the person, whoever the person is that has died or their family sometimes have no control over that process. So starting with George Washington, he wanted to have a very modest, simple ceremony with just family and maybe a close friends. And right away, the American people said, no, that that's not really how it's going to go. And they Some people showed up and inserted themselves in the process and others staged mock funerals up and down the country. So I would say that's one element that has remained 
constant throughout and continues to evolve as American people have new ideas and, and new thoughts about how they should interpret a presidential death. And then maybe Matt can share some of the things that are different. Yeah, you know, and obviously changes in technology, communication, transportation have expanded state funerals into becoming now what seems more like multi-days, sometimes week-long events. It can involve a president or former president having funerals in multiple places, in different churches, with different groups, different communities of people. And, you know, throughout the 19th century, the use of the train to transport the president's remains from Washington, D.C. back to their final resting place you know, this was another opportunity for people to participate in mourning, whether by seeing the train, by visiting and seeing the president's body on display in a public building. So we, we start to see elements of these really manifest with Abraham Lincoln's funeral in, in 1865. And then moving forward, this becomes really sort of the prototype that many presidents will use into the 20th century and, and that we most recently saw in 2018 with George H.W. Bush. Awesome. My next question is, as students of history, what can studying the mourning of our presidents teach us about the American experience? Well, one of the biggest takeaways I think I learned from editing and pulling together this collection is that presidents, the, the mourning process around presidents often has very little to do with the person themselves and often says a whole lot more about where the nation is at that particular moment what challenges it's going through, what values it seeks to emphasize, maybe what part of the political process it is uncomfortable with or, or wants to return to. And this is true whether we're talking about George Washington and being mourned as the father of the nation or, or Zachary Taylor when he died and the nation was going through a really intense sectional crisis over slavery. And so the American people really focused on his military service during the Mexican-American War as, a, as something they could all get behind, as something they could all celebrate as a unifying focus. Or even most recently, and, and one of the things that inspired this volume was the death of George H.W. Bush and how American people focused on his kindness, his decency, his humility, the sense of stability he brought to the world stage. And that was in direct contrast to how they viewed politics at the moment, how they viewed the current at the time, the current occupant of the Oval Office, and how they felt that politics had become so divisive and angry, and were looking for leadership that Bush had provided. And I think to add to Lindsay's points, you know, this volume comes out, but you know, it's it is very much inspired by what we were watching in real time with George H. W. Bush. But, you know, the country and really the world goes through a wider conversation and reckoning with systemic racism, police brutality. And, you know, I think even the volume itself, you know, talks more about these leaders and their views on race, on different groups of people. I mean, that in and of itself is because we're not just talking about their legacy over time, but also their legacy now. And so I think the volume does a very good job through a variety of different chapters, not just touching on people who were enslavers like Washington, Jefferson, Jackson, but also getting to the more modern presidents who may or may not be given more credit for doing uh, more things for African-Americans or less things for African-Americans. So it, it's fascinating to see how our contributors also approach that question of legacy, because some decided that they wanted to look at strictly sort of 
achievements. Some wanted to look at memorialization, monuments, public places. Some wanted to look at historiography. How have historians talked about this leader and how has that changed over time? I mean, none of these things, to Lindsay's point, happen in a vacuum. The mourning itself, the immediate aftermath, the memorialization process, and then even us today, we're having this conversation and we are not immune to the social, political, and cultural forces swirling around us. These things play a very active role in shaping what we remember, how we remember, and really what we choose to forget. I think it's obvious the book is about presidents who have passed on. But how can your work, if at all, inform our, our study, our analysis, our view of presidents in office right now? there are so many ways, but I think one of the real things that I took away from this volume that I think we should remember as we're probably going to experience another mourning period in the near future with the passing of Jimmy Carter is that mourning and legacy and history are all different things. And so it's very important for us to distinguish between the immediate outpouring of maybe grief or sadness over Carter with the more analytical crafting of legacy, which I think takes time and requires an evolution over several generations. And as new people and scholars and historians bring new questions to bear and the history, which is more of the straight facts. And so it's very important that we distinguish between those three things and that, and we acknowledge that those three things all have a place in American life and that's okay. And that's appropriate and that's right, but that we shouldn't confuse the sort of celebration of Carter's life with an analytical interpretation of what happened during his time in office. Two things that I was really struck by was the first that we can talk about these figures and have very different recollections, opinions, insights, perspectives about who they were, how they should be remembered, how they should be talked about. And, you know, for me, a chapter that really resonated was Andrew Davenport's on Thomas Jefferson, because, I mean, I think everybody, many people think of Thomas Jefferson as primary author of the Declaration of Independence, President of the United States, probably one of the most intellectually gifted Americans in the early Republic. And, and he, but he's telling this story from the perspective of a descendant. You know, his ancestors were sold to pay off Jefferson's debt after his death. So, you know, naturally, he's going to feel very differently. He's going to have different thoughts on what Jefferson means and what that story means. And what I took away from that is that it's okay. You know, it is okay if we don't all agree on everything about these leaders. I mean, we shouldn't. This is a democracy. There should be agreements and disagreements. And to that point, uh, Lindsay and I have talked about this quite a bit, is the expansion of presidential mourning into the 20th century for former presidents. Not only are state funerals afforded for a head of state, you know, in case a president dies in office, like John F. Kennedy in 1963, but now we've reached a point where former presidents are afforded the same honors. So that has asked us to think harder about, well, what does that, what does that mean about presidency? What does that mean about, you know, you return to being a citizen or are you still sort of considered a proto-president or, you know, what, what are you post-presidency that you still have many of the same privileges and protections? We find that to be particularly interesting. I'm not sure where that will lead us, but I do think, as Lindsay mentioned, 
what we see with, I think, former President Jimmy Carter, you know, it'll tell us, are we still continuing on, on this trajectory of former presidents really sort of going for all the pomp and circumstance of the office as sort of, you know, their way of a final send off to the American people. And it is a way that they can sort of play a role in how they want to be remembered in the moment. A question that actually just came up in the course of our conversation. How have you guys noticed differences between mourning presidents who have passed during their term in office and uh, mourning presidents who have passed after their term? Well, I don't think there's really one way that we can categorize it. I think there are a couple of factors that come into play. One is the nature of their death. So if it's through disease or natural causes, as opposed to a violent assassination, that certainly changes things. Another factor is when the death happened. So in the 20th century or even in the second half of the 19th century with the rise of technology, the news of the death was able to spread faster and more broadly. And so that changed the nature of these things. And then the third is sort of intangible. So, you know, FDR died in office. He died from natural causes. But because he had been in office for such a long time and had led through such pivotal crazy moments in American history, the Great Depression and the New Deal and World War II, he was the only president that a lot of Americans had known. For a lot of young Americans, he was literally the only person they had known in that office. And so his death was shattering in a way that, for example, Zachary Taylor's was not, even though he died in office of natural causes as well. And so I think there are there, it's kind of impossible to categorize in, in that way, just because there are so many other factors that come into play. Lindsay mentioned, you know, manner of death, the nature of the death, the timing of it. But I think also that the relationship of that individual to the American people at that time can also play sort of like their pre-existing relationship and then also their relationship in office. So for, for somebody like George Washington, he had decades long experience of service and public service to the United States. So even though he was a former president, I mean, really, he's sort of afforded these honors that look more like a more modern state funeral of sorts, even though it wasn't something that he wanted. Then when you get later, you get to say, uh, we have a chapter on Herbert Hoover. And so there's a very big contrast there because Hoover leaves office. He spends the next three decades being really heavily involved in trying to rehabilitate his image. And when he passes away, you know, enough time has been removed that, I mean, the stain of the Great Depression isn't entirely out. But I do think there is a more of a general sympathy for Herbert Hoover, his international service, serving on those different commissions for different presidents, assisting during World War One, And he really is billed more as this great humanitarian. And he's thought of more of that versus, you know, less a president. So I think also the relationship between the person in office, both pre-existing, during and after, can also play a pretty big role. Now, if there were a single takeaway that you could pick out from the book, and I, I understand that can be difficult, but specifically for someone, a, a young person, right, in maybe the college, late high school generation, what would it be? I would encourage all Americans, but especially young Americans, to embrace the idea that these traditions and the practices of mourning and legacy that we write about in this volume they have continued to evolve over decades and centuries, and they will continue to evolve. They are never a static process. And that's right and appropriate as the American society evolves, so too should the way that it celebrates or, or mourns individuals evolve. But 
it's a great opportunity for people to think about how do they want to recognize the president and the role of the president in the United States and the role of former presidents once they've left office. How do we want to mourn and celebrate these individuals and honor their sacrifice and honor their service, but also put forth the values that our republic is based on? And so one of the things that Matt and I have challenged people to think about is, is it right for us to have these huge state funerals for people who are no longer in office? Is that becoming of a republic? Or does it suggest to people that the president is somehow other than just an average citizen like everyone else? And, and is that a dangerous conception? Maybe not the funeral itself being dangerous, but the way that it causes us to think about the people that hold that office and, and what they become after they leave office. Is that a dangerous concept? So it's an opportunity for all generations to think about how they want to participate in these activities and how they want to put their stamp on them going forward. What I would say is that I would encourage young people to, you know, especially I know these days between polarization of our politics, different state legislatures banning certain subjects, certain books. I mean, knowledge is power. So, you know, wherever you go to get it, read, be informed, read multiple sources, don't rely on a single source. I mean, what we see throughout the volume is that history and memory have this very interesting relationship. And sometimes one can supplant the other because people are unwilling to read more into the history. And to echo what Lindsay said, that's also a dangerous concept when we're conflating memory and history. And some of the chapters in the, in the volume will touch on this with things like removal of statues, changing names. People immediately flag these things as negative or you're erasing history. A statue is a statue. It is a representation of a figure and it's put up by a specific group of people for a specific reason. Not everything is done purely for historical preservation's sake. I mean, again, it, it forces you, you have to look at these things beyond just what you see in front of you. And I think that is also the case with the presidency because I mean, I think, I mean, I hope young people are interested in the presidency. They're interested in learning more about the office, that role, the leadership of the people that held the office. But I think that's also a great vehicle to get more into these types of conversations about who we are as Americans, what do we believe in, and what are the dangers when we veer away from some of these things. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of The Past, The Promise, The Presidency. If you want to learn more after this conversation, we encourage you to do two things. First, go check out Dr. Travinsky and Dr. Costello's book, Mourning the Presidents, Loss and Legacy in American Culture, published by the University of Virginia Press. Secondly, if you'd like to see Dr. Travinsky and Dr. Costello's presentation on their book, visit SMU's campus on May 11th in the McCord Auditorium at 6 p.m. Now, if you're unable to make it, you can still find a recording of their talk on our website at www.smu.edu. The Past, the Promise, the Presidency is a production of the Center for Presidential History at Southern Methodist University. Our thanks to SMU's Dedman College of Humanities and Sciences, 
and the Office of the Provost for their support. Thank you to Pro Podcast Solutions and to our CPH team, especially Tamal Pilla and Tyler McCall for producing this episode, whose original theme music was composed by Marshall Engel. For show notes, more information on the expert guests featured in our conversations, and more about all our past seasons, visit pastpromisepresidency.com. We hope you'll join us again next week for our next conversation.